gave me Belcher. Welcome to Crombie Haw Short Stories and Poetry for October 13, 2023. Hello, my name is Terrence O'Donnell. I'm here with some more stories and poems for everyone this week. This once a week podcast is being hosted on RSS.com. It is also available on these mobile apps and websites Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Podcast Index, Listen Notes, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, TuneIn. Google Podcasts and Deezer and maybe some more. My shows are free to subscribe to for now with these podcast platforms, but I do have a donations tab on the RSS.com webpage where I post the episodes to support the show. I will also be installing a donations link on my website this weekend for the same reason. Much like passing the hat at the end of my visit to your digital village. A little about me. I'm of Irish descent and a Sean Kay, an Irish storyteller. I want listeners to imagine we are sitting together under the village oak tree, the Crombieha, which is Gaelic for the Tree of Life. While gathered here, I will read you fictional stories and poetry from writers I have found from around the world in Medium.com with their permission, including some of my own stories on occasion. Now I'm going to give you a disclosure. In order to read the accompanying newsletter in Medium.com, you will need to sign up for a subscription in Medium. If you want to read any of the newsletters and listen to the podcast for free, you can also find everything on my blog section of my website at www.crombieha.com. Even though I provide links to the stories there, the difficulty will be reading the stories themselves, as they are paywalled on Medium by the authors, and I have no control over that. So I try to pick out stories and poems that will hopefully stay with you for a bit after we part for the day. And leave you wanting more, so you return again next week to listen for more. So now I'm going to go to my very first story. And most of what I have this week are all scary stories. Not all. I do have one. It's it's a love story uh, from Afghanistan and overseas. Uh, but we'll get to that. First story I have for you is called The Long Night. When Nightmares Come for You by Catherine Moore, published in the Kraken Lore. It's been hundreds of years since any human lived on the ground. There were legends the elders would tell around the fire pit late at night when the dark crept in and listened. Legends about the time before, when mankind walked the earth fearlessly, sure in their mastery of the world and all its denizens. Legends of when the ground wasn't beset by nightmares, destroying any creatures foolish enough to touch one of their nets. Listen, young ones, crooned Sai, the oldest of our tribe. We huddled closer to each other, hanging on her words. She didn't often speak after the evening meals, but tonight was a special night. It was the long night, when darkness reigned for an entire night and a day and night again. The whole tribe gathered in a hall built between the four largest trees in our forest. We would eat and drink and tell tales until we slept, safe in the knowledge that the elders would keep watch over us. Sai Saw's voice spun pictures in the flickering light of a world of steel and noise. She conjured tall buildings with glass windows, huge machines that traveled the face of the world, and metal birds that flew in the sky. She spoke of animals that had lived on the ground, roaming the landscape with little fear. Her voice was like a comforting blanket that settled around my shoulders. Her stories seemed like fairy tales, impossible to believe, even harder to imagine. Sai's voice continued to weave her tales, lulling me into a doze. 
I dreamed I was from a tribe that lived in the old city with ropes strung from building to building. I had seen the old city once from a distance, with its rope bridges like fragile webs. The dark buildings with their shattered, windowless eyes made my dream self-shudder with fear, and I could feel the dark stillness of the ground waiting for me. A sharp nudge brought me from my reverie. Dane grinned at me and beckoned as he slid out of the crowd and disappeared into the darkness beyond the torches. I slowly followed, worried that I would be seen. We weren't meant to leave the hall without permission on the long night, even to relieve ourselves. Breaking rules not something that came naturally to me, but I couldn't say no to him. I made it to the edge of the torchlight where Dane was waiting. His scruffy hair fell carelessly over one eye, a sly grin on his shadow face making him appear suddenly sinister. He laughed quietly at the look on my face and grabbed my hand. Come on, he whispered, tugging me further into the gloom. We shouldn't go too far, I hissed back, glancing at the bright hall behind me. I could feel the skin on my hand tingling where he held it. He stepped close, his face inches from mine. The warmth of his body seeped through my clothes. One small movement and we would be pressed up against each other. I felt a flush creep up my face and silently cursed, grateful for the surrounding gloom. Do you want to come with me? His breath tickled my face, his dark eyes locked on mine. I nodded fractionally, still not sure, but overwhelmed by the nearness of it. My heartbeat was loud in my ears, hurried with a heady mix of excitement and fear. We snuck along the walkways, further and further out. Each platform was dimly lit with bioluminescent moss, which curled around the tree trunks. As we moved further out, the darkness seemed to absorb their light, making it dimmer and dimmer until I could barely see Dane's outline ahead of me. A brief flare of bright light in the distance, followed swiftly by a panicked squawk, made me freeze halfway across the bridge. The light slowly disappeared, leaving me more blinded than before. Dane, stop. We have to go back. It's not safe. My voice wobbled and my face burned with shame. I desperately wanted him to like me, wanted him to think I was brave, but I wasn't. The thought of being in the dark so far from help was more than I could bear. I could hear strange noises in the darkness around us, faint clicks and hisses that stopped whenever I stared sightlessly towards them. It's not much further, he replied, kept, and kept moving. A dark outline against the moss on the next platform. I was too scared to make my way back on my own, so I had no choice but to hurry after him. I could hear my footsteps echoing back from the surrounding trees. My heart thundered in my ears, my breath noisy in the still night. I glanced back, striving to see some sign of the hall from where we were, but we'd gone too far. When I looked forward again, Dane had vanished. For a moment I couldn't move, couldn't think. Where had he gone? Surely you can't have been taken without me seeing. Another hiss came out of the dark, closer than before, making me lurch forward to the next platform. I stumbled into the trunk, my hands grasping at it, sliding on the soft moss. The soft glow did nothing to illuminate the darkness around me. Opening my eyes wide as they could go, I started towards the bridge leading back to the hall. As I placed my hand on the rope, a series of rapid clicks came from in front of me. I reeled back and tried another bridge. Hissing echoed towards me, coming closer with every second. All three bridges leading off this platform danced gently as if something was crawling along them. My breath sobbed in my throat as I backed into the trunk. There was nowhere to go. I was trapped, alone. I tried to call for help, but my throat was closed with terror, and all that came out was a small squeak. 
The bridge is rocked more violently, and I sank to my knees, covering my face as I waited for whatever it was to attack. The wooden slats clacked loudly against each other as the bounty reached a peak. I scrunched my eyes close tightly as it all suddenly stopped. A snort made me look up, just in time to see Dane and two of his friends appear hooting with laughter. I gaped, not understanding. It had been them? Or what? They slapped each other on the back, congratulating themselves between fits of renewed laughter. You should have seen your face, Stowe gasped, his hands on his knees. Dane did an impression of me cowering on the floor, sending them off into fresh peals. As I stared at them, hurt and anger warred inside of me. I thought Dane had liked me, had wanted to spend time with me. What a fool I'd been. With this realization, anger won, and I scrambled to my feet. What the hell's wrong with you, I demanded. You think it's funny to terrify someone? Maybe you shouldn't be so gullible, Dane sneered. Did you really think I was interested? His words cut deeply, and I lashed out. Looks like I had a lucky escape. I'd rather kiss a nightmare than go anywhere near you. I stormed towards the bridge, shoving past Dane, but he grabbed my arm, stopping me. That's not very nice, he said softly, his hand tight enough to leave bruises. Let me go! My heart was pounding again, but not because of the monsters in the darkness. I had just realized I was surrounded by three older boys, all taller and stronger than myself. No one would hear me if I screamed, and there was no way I could fight them off. Not till you apologize. I need to apologize. After the stunt you three just pulled, you should be begging me not to tell the elders about this. I tried to hide my fear, getting in his face and practically snarling the words, but he could see it. A slow grin broke out over his face, and I knew I was in trouble. You're right. We should be convincing you to keep this our little secret. He winked at the other two, and without warning, hoisted me over his shoulder. I shrieked and kicked at him as he carried me to the edge of the platform. Will you keep quiet, or do I drop you over the edge? I kicked even harder and as he backed towards the rail, and one of my knees caught him in the stomach, sending us to the wooden floor with a crash. He was on me in a second, hauling me up on my hair. You little bitch, you're going to pay for that. I lashed out toward his face, my nails scraping across his eyes, and I was rewarded with a bellow of pain. He let me go, and I kicked out again. I caught him in the knee, and he stumbled back, catching his foot on a loose plank, toppling heavily, colliding with the bridge post. There was a loud crack, and time seemed to slow down. But the look of horror on his face, as the post gave way beneath him, tattooed itself in my mind. Dane, the post, and the side of the bridge all tumbled towards the ground far below. There was a heavy thud as he hit the floor. Immediately, lines of fire underneath the earth shot out in all directions. The nets of the nightmares were everywhere on the ground, and their communication near instant. Show and Gaff shouted to Dane, telling him to run, climb, move, goddammit. Dane just groaned. He raised his head a little and saw the shattered remains of his legs, his groans rising to a scream. The line of fire pulsed around him, and the forest floor became alive. The scattered bushes started to rattle, their leaves trembling wildly. Frantic chattering and clicking hung in the air seeming to come from all around. Help me, Dane said faintly, looking up at us safe on the platform. Please, he began to cry as the noise increased, dragging himself slowly across the ground towards the tree. Dark shapes moved closer, blocking out the fire on the earth. Show and God began to back away, slowly at first, and then faster to lay broken ran, disappearing across the next bridge. I couldn't move. I was frozen again, wanting to close my eyes, but needing to see what was coming. A scent of sweet rot and freshly turned earth filled the air 
as the nightmares converged on Dave, his screams rising until all I could hear above the clicking was a high sobbing. The many-legged monsters surrounded him, their hard, leathery skin shining in the light of their nets. Their eyes were huge and black, dominating their thin faces. Dirty fangs protruded from the sides of their mouths as they chittered to one another. At some signal I didn't see, they left on Dane, claws rending his flesh as he was swiftly dismembered. They buried their faces in him, tearing off chunks and crunching bones. I finally managed to screw my eyes shut, hands over my ears. When everything eventually fell silent, I plucked up the courage to look. They had gone. A patch of blood seeping into the earth was the only sign anything had happened. The lines of fire began to fade, darkness encroaching once again. I was left alone in the darkness. Dane was dead. Oh God, Dane was dead because of me. If I had just agreed to keep quiet, none of this would happen. He would still be alive. How do I carry on knowing I'm responsible for someone's death? Shouts echoed in the distance, torches moving this way. I lay where I fell, unable to move. It was my fault. So you can take that story any way you want. I mean, it sounds like the young lady was fixing to get sexually assaulted here in this story. But you kind of read between the lines. Not a good thing. Uh, but my next story is a short story, fictional, by Eden Dawson. And it's titled, How Long Are You Willing to Fight for Love? And it's, it's, it's a kind of a romantic story, actually. But it's fictional. So just, just so you know, in a world where the sacred institution of marriage has become a target for ridicule, Shama and her husband, Trid, found themselves navigating treacherous waters to safeguard their love and family. It was a world where media outlets thrived on sensationalism, relationships were fleeting, and commitment was scoffed. Shama and Trid had a love that transcended boundaries. Their marriage was a testament to the union of two cultures, Afghan and Arab blending seamlessly into a beautiful tapestry of love. They had weathered the storms of societal pressure before, but as time went on, the winds of change grew stronger, threatening to tear their union apart. Trid, a wealthy man, moved into social circles where hedonism reigned supreme. He was a man of spiritual values, but the temptations that surrounded him tested his resolve daily. His wife Shama stood as a pillar of strength beside him, her unwavering support, the only anchor in a sea of decadence. Their journey was filled with struggles, but their commitment to one another remained unshaken. They faced ridicule from peers and family alike. Marriage, once revered, had become a source of scorn, a relic of a bygone era. But Shama and Trid clung to their love with unwavering determination, their bond fortified by the challenges they faced. Then a storm loomed on the horizon. Pasha, a co-worker of Trid's, had feelings for him that went unrequited. Consumed by jealousy and resentment, Pasha concocted a plan to disrupt Trib's old life. She made false allegations of a secret romance between them, fabricating evidence and exposing intimate text messages online for the world to see. Scandal erupted like a volcano, spewing molten accusations and fiery gossip. Trib's reputation was tarnished, and the whispers of betrayal reached even the most sacred corners of their community. Friends and family pressured Shama to divorce him, to sever ties with a man who had seemingly betrayed her. But Shama was made of goal and resilience. She bore the weight of the world's judgment with grace, her commitment to her marriage unyielding. She refused to let society's chaos dictate the fate of her love. The backlash took a toll on her mental health, isolating her from those who had once been her support system. Trid, burdened by guilt and feeling like a failure, 
did his best to comfort his beloved wife. He struggled with his own demons, questioning his actions and decisions. The scars of the scandal ran deep, etching their pain into their hearts. In a world that sought to tear couples and families apart, Shama and Trid's journey was far from over, and the road ahead was uncertain. As the tsunami grew, Shama stood at a crossroads, torn between two routes. One led to the preservation of her marriage, a sanctuary of love and commitment in a world gone astray. The other led to the chaos of society, where values were forsaken and love was fleeting. Would she once more choose the road of marriage and values, fighting against the tide of society's disdain? Or would she succumb to the pressure, letting her love be swept away in a storm of societal debauchery? Thus, the question is not merely whether they are willing to fight for their love, no matter the cost, but for how long. And that, even though it's a fictional story, that could be applied to a lot of things in a lot of places around the world right now. Now, I have a poem. This is entitled Whispers to the Last Breath, a Soldier Soliloquy by Eden Dawson. Alas, the last breath draws near. Tremble, flee, I shall not heed. The moon casts its glow to aid my route. Stumbling, tumbling, but I'll never shout. Cast away the ghosts that linger near. Fill my lungs with bloody tears. Alas, the last breath draws near. Tumbling, crumbling, in my river of fears. And that one kind of appeals to me, being a former soldier. I can relate. Now my next one is a scary story. This is by H.R. Parker. She writes a lot of scary stories. She published this in the Kraken Lore, a story told in Drabble Chapters. Part 1. It is the curse we bear forever, the curse only they can break. I look at his side profile in the firelight. It's like pulses on his swarthy skin. What would he say if he knew about me? What would he say if only he could break my kin's curse? You always leave me, his voice whispered, caressing my ear. He stands close, watching as I pack my horse with supplies. But I always come back, I reply, tucking a stray lock of raven hair behind his ear. With any luck, I won't be back this time. Part 2 Must you visit your clan every month? I miss you when you are gone. Like the air has gone from my lungs. I gasp for your being the way my lungs gasp for air after holding my breath too long. He stands, pulls me to him. He cups my face with callous fingers. His lips graze mine, a brush of hawk moth wings. I smile, push him back slightly. I gaze into his human eyes, so strange even after all this time. Because we are connected, I say. I wrap my arms around his neck, because our life thread pulses as one. Part 3 Then do not go. Do not visit your clan this month. Stay here with me. His eyes are desperate. His desperation is exactly what I need. My love, I must go. I have no choice. I must go to the mountain. If he only knew what his people would do to mine if they knew what we truly were. I take his hand in mine. You can come with me this time. But there is a stipulation. It visibly brightens his eyes aglow. His posture suddenly erect instead of downtrodden. I may go. What is the stipulation? I'll do anything. Part 4 you must become one of us, one of my clan, not the other way around. He had no idea what sacrifice it will bring, what breaking our curse will mean for him. His mouth crashes into mine, a sting of desperation. Pulling away, his countenance is full of joy. How long will this joy last? 
Will he still look upon me with adoration when he sees me truly? Then I will marry you this instant. I will do anything for you. He does not scoff at joining my clan instead of me joining his, which is what his people expect. Part 5. You must understand, if you join my clan, you are bound to us. For all time. I gaze at the sky overhead. The full moon is almost nigh. But we must leave now. With a simple nod he comes. He promises mother he will visit. But I know this can never be. I am not sorry. I look at him now as we traverse the murk of Duliath Wood to the caves of Mount Idirin. He had to come willingly for the enchantment to work. He is my betrothed no longer. Now he is my thrall. I smile in the darkness. Part 6 My father, our clan's chieftain, glides to the center of the circle. Bodies close in around us. Human bodies for now, but not for long. The moon, she calls to us, a voiceless siren in the vast ocean of night. We ache for the release she gives us. Father bestows upon my thrall a silver goblet full of thick, dark liquid, the blood of our kin. Drink this and become one with the Amiro. Drink this and become one with us. My father places his hands on a thrall's head and whispers the spell as our sacrifice imbibes our blood. Part 7 Beneath father's tawny skin I can see the shimmer of his scales. The moon is almost at a zenith. It is nearly time. My betrothed, my thrall, drinks of our blood, a willing yet ignorant participant. The last word of the incantation synchronizes with the last sip from the goblet. I look over at it, betrothed, thrall, sacrificial lamb. Now we are one. Now our love can truly soar. Now our curse ends and his is just beginning. He smiles, eyes cloudy, dreamlike, our essence taking hold. Then the pain overtakes him, his body cursed and entombed in our blood. Part 8. His skin peels, revealing iridescent pearl-white scales, alight like tiny moons. He falls to his knees, gasping. His face contorts, mouth frozen in a silent shriek as wings unfurl cautiously from his back. His human skin deteriorates. I also shed my human form, but it is for the last time. I feel no pain in the way he does. I watch as my clan transmutes. Some wheel slowly, some bolt upward to join the waiting stars, an exodus of wings and opalescent scales. I hear rapturous shrieks above us, a chorus of euphoria. My love, what have you done to me? Part 9. His voice is guttural. His wings snap open, tail wrapping itself around back legs still weak from mutating. He drags himself to a dark corner. Will I forever be imprisoned inside this hideous body? I bristle at his words, but remain silent. His hate for our kind is inbred. I do not tell him he will be human again, but only on nights of the full moon, a full reversal of the curse bestowed upon my kind. It is his burden now. Answer me, his voice explodes, shattering the darkness. Eyes aglow, two levitating embers full of fear and fury. Part 10 I slowly creep around him, my serpentine body close to the ground. You drank of our blood. Your spirit is forever bound to the dragon form you reside in now. I miss the curse of humanity for a moment, if only to feel my lips peel away from my teeth as I smile. The desire is fleeting. I gaze upward, my clan circling overhead, waiting. Columns of fire illuminate the darkness. They are eager, impatient. Your people shackled us into human form, torturing us with their own tiny existence because they feared ours. Now it is your turn to suffer. Part 11 
He cowers in the darkness, silent, watching. My people have lived this way for years. Then we realized all we needed was a human to join us, with no hesitation. You had to give yourself, your human soul, to us willingly. And you were so, so willing. My laughter ricochets off the stone walls as I leisurely circle upwards out into the night. His woeful laments toss about in the wake of our jubilant wingbeats. Tonight we hunt. Tonight, his village, all of his people, will burn to the ground. And he will watch, trapped inside the body of the creature he hates most. That was, that was a pretty good story. I, I really like that one. The Voice Within is my next story. It's another scary story. And this is from Sweet Chaos, and that's the name she goes by. You may find more than you bargained for. The young couple took a deep breath before slowly stepping over the temple threshold and into the darkness. With the audible click of the flashlight, Amaya in instinctively reached for Trevor's arm. Are you sure we're allowed in here? Amaya's unease was as thick as the musty air clinging to their skin. Trevor turned playful brown eyes to Amaya, flashing her the boyish grin that she found so irresistible, the same one that often got her into trouble. There's nothing to worry about, Karina. I've been here dozens of times. Grabbing her hand, their gazes locked for a moment before Amaya conceded. The thick layer of dust muffled their footsteps on the cobblestone floor as they slowly walked down the corridor. With the light from the entrance quickly dwindling, Amaya's grip tightened on Trevor's hand. To ease Amaya's tension, they made small talk about dates they had been on. Their laughter echoed down the damp halls as they recalled their forbidden swim in old man Hatchler's pond, how they ran away laughing when they were caught and struggling to dress as they ran. Amaya slowed to glance into the consuming darkness behind them, then back to Trevor's strong form, blocking much of the flashlight's illumination as he continued walking. She hurried to close the gap between them, clinging to his arm for strength. It's really creepy in here. Can we leave now? A few steps later, Trevor replied distractedly without looking her way. We are almost there, a little further. The adventure, he promised, was not only zero fun, it was causing the hairs on her arms to stand on end. Worst day ever, she thought. He's going to owe me big time. Still gripping his arm, Amaya squinted to her side. The darkness was so consuming, she couldn't even see the stone wall. She walked into yet another spider web concealed by the darkness. Amaya sputtered, and her hands frantically wiped away any unwanted guests from her hair. Trevor, this isn't fun. And she wiped the gospel threads from her face. I want to go home. She expected his shoulders to slump, for him to stop walking, to concede to her wisdom that they shouldn't be in this godforsaken place. Instead, her brow spiraled as she watched him slowly continue down the hallway as if she'd never spoken. Her feet were firmly planted in rebellion as she watched him, and the only source of light continuing down the corridor. Did you hear me, Trevor? Trevor merely waved for her to join him as he walked. What was wrong with him? She stomped her feet, creating a small dust of explosion. Trevor, take me home! She watched in frustration and dismay as they continued deeper into the labyrinth, paying no heed to her demands. Amaya hurried to catch up to her boyfriend and gripped his arm tightly. A moment later, something caused her hair to switch forward. Amaya's head whipped to look behind him, then peered behind the flashlight's range. Squeezing and shaking Trevor's arm, her voice shook as she whispered loudly, Trevor, did you feel that? Amaya clung to his arm as if his strength would become hers. Trevor slightly turned toward her, his tone devoid of emotion. Hmm, feel what? Amaya's eyes widened at his lack of spirit, then narrowed her gaze on his face. 
Did his eyes have a slight glow? Surely it was a reflection from the flashlight. Her heart thumping wildly out of control, her saucer-like eyes darted about. She clenched Trevor's arms so tightly, they were sure to be bruising. That's what she spotted, a distant amber light. Amaya felt Trevor stop, and she glanced at him. He stood motionless, almost expectant. The sudden silence was indeed deafening. She looked back at the amber light, which appeared to be drawing closer, at an alarming rate. Wait, there are two lights? They stood motionless as one. There was no sound accompanying the oncoming lights, only the overwhelming feeling of disaster. In the span of several shallow breaths, a grayish creature towered over them. It moved in swirling arcs as small particles fell from the twisted membrane on its head. Its amber eyes surveyed its visitors with open curiosity and something else, much like hunger. Amaya, cringing against the stench of sulfur and rotting flesh. She turned her face away and squeezed her eyes shut tightly. Maybe it would leave if she didn't move, didn't breathe. The sentient being circled them once, then leaned close, sniffing deeply at the scent before him, the scent of life, of youth, of fear. It ran long, knobby fingers down Amaya's hair, touching the warmth of her cheek, coming to rest on her shoulder. Amaya's chest was heaving violently, her heart pounded in her ears. The being leaned close to Trevor's unflinching face. She will make a fine host for my offspring. Well done, my child. Before Amaya could react, the creature violently snatched her and disappeared into the thick darkness with only her frantic screams pursuing them. Trevor watched as the darkness engulfed them, as he had countless times before. Clicking flashlight off, his eyes glowed as he made the journey to the entrance to find another worthy host. Now, this is pretty good. It's kind of scary, about right for Samhain here. But I have one more last story for you, and it's a ghost story. A is for Emily by Catherine Moore, another one published in the Kraken Lore. No one really believes in ghosts anymore. Dust motes swirl through the air, dancing in a lance of sunlight. Shree moved carefully along the manor's corridor, glancing into the open rooms as she passed. She had been waiting years to get her hands on the books in here. Ever since she was a child, the fading grandeur of the empty house looming in the distance had fascinated her, and now she had an official reason to be exploring the dusty hallways. The light dimmed as she slowly moved further in towards the library, the rear of the building. Shree could see the closed curtains and furniture covered in the dust sheets through the half-open doors she passed. Chandeliers hung sullenly above the mysterious shapes, their gilt coating faded. Empty fireplaces gaped like open malls full of shadows, waiting. The faint echo of music floated on the still air. It sounded like a child singing the alphabet song round and round. Shree smiled slightly. There must be a window open somewhere, although she couldn't feel any breeze from the chilling winter wind pressing the house. She caught sight of movement as she passed what looked like a parlor and froze, breath catching, only to realize she was looking at herself in a mirror. The sheet had pulled around the curling feet of the mirror, brightening the glass and making Shree's reflection ghostly opaque. She snorted at her momentary fright and closed the door, moving on. She reached a set of tall double doors at the end of the corridor, elaborately carved with mythological scenes. Medusa gazed in terrible rage from beneath the cobwebs, the dust not dulling the ferocity of her look. While beneath her Heracles battled in his twelve labors, 
Artemis and her dreadful hunt flowed down the left side, while Zeus pursued Leda up the right. She paused to take careful pictures, the bright flash of her camera blinding in the gloom. As she pulled the doors open, a gust of frigid air blasted into her, stealing her breath. She stumbled back, hands to her chest. She felt winded and shivery, her lungs refusing to work, and the hallway around her began to fade as she crumbled to the hard floor. After a desperate few seconds, the spasm passed. Everything was still, her gasping a lone sound. The only light came from the distant sun in the corridor behind her, so Shri carefully climbed to her feet and took out her torch, the beam wavering. The library was huge, with tall bookcases arranged in neat rows and along the walls. A spiral staircase rose out of the gloom to a balcony lined with more books. The collection of first editions she was here to examine should be towards the back of the room. Shri took a few calming breaths, then began to move through the stacks towards the curtain window, trailing a finger gently along the soft leather spines. Some light would help. Her torch was rather small. The singing began again, louder this time. The singing began again, louder this time. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Shri stopped abruptly and spun on her heel, her torch light bouncing off the richly colored spines surrounding her. The light stopped, the house eerily silent. Shri stood for a moment longer, her torch light trembling slightly. Nothing moved. All she could hear was the blood rushing in her ears. She swiftly turned and made her way to the window again, needing the light. Her excitement had vanished, replaced by unease. This place had been unoccupied for as long as she could remember. There shouldn't be anyone in here, let alone a child. She reached the window, but before she could touch the curtains, a laugh rang out. A girl ran past her, giggling gleefully. She tapped Shree on the arm, shouting, Tag, you're it, before running into the dark stacks. Wait, who are you? What are you doing in? She trailed off as she lost sight of the girl. She jumped as the child suddenly reappeared behind her. Tag, she cried again and sped off. Shree spun in a circle, trying to spot her, steadying herself on one of the bookcases as she squinted her eyes against the dizziness. The looming bookcases slowly swayed around her, icy pinpricks kneeling her hands. The girl stepped out of the shadows, and everything snapped back into focus, the light from Shree's torch catching the fine embroidery on the girl's dress. You're not playing properly, she pouted. I waited so long for somebody to play with. Who are you? How did you get in here? Shree asked, shaking her head to try and clear it, and wondering what on earth she was do going to do now. Where did this child come from? She pulled her phone from her pocket, but it had no signal. Sighing, she put it away. No help there. I live here, silly, the girl giggled, shaking her head at Shree's confusion. No one lives here. Shree eyed the darkness in the stacks, feeling as though the shadows were watching her. This place was not at all what she expected. I do. Lots of us do. You just couldn't see us before. The girl shrugged and grinned again. Will you play now? My name's Emily. It's nice to meet you, Emily. My name is Shree, but we can't play in here. It's private property. Besides, your parents will be worried about you. Let's go and find them. Shree held out her hand to Emily, who happily took it and began walking to the double doors with her. My parents are dead, but it's okay. You're here to look after me now, Emily pointed to a crumpled figure in the doorway of the library. Oh, God! Shree ran towards the body, cursing her lack of phone signal to call for help, but skidded to a halt as she recognized the clothes. Her knees gave away, sharp pain shooting through her as they hit the polished floor. They were her clothes. It was her face. 
the dizziness was back again, and she reeled away, nausea rising. Her eyes kept straying back to the prone figure, cold sweat prickling her cat scalp. She looked at Emily through her hair. What is this? What's happening? Emily sh shook her head sadly. Master Nathan has a nasty temper, and he doesn't like people looking at his books. This can't be real, Shri moaned. She held out a shaking hand to touch the still figure's hair. I can't be. I have a job, a family. This is insane. I'm sorry, Emily said, patting her shoulder with the air of someone who'd done this before. It got you as soon as you came in. You're one of us now. And that's that story. Now, I hope you enjoyed everything I brought to you today. As I said, I try to bring you a little bit of variety, but, you know, it's close to uh, what English people call Halloween, and everybody's always doing scary stories by Halloween. So I did give you, a, you know, a, a kind of a romantic story in between there. So that's probably a good thing. And the science fiction story, although, yeah, was kind of scary, too. Don't forget to read, read the newsletter, which is available in Medium and the blog section of my website, Crown Beyond. My parting song for this week is titled The Long Black Veil, sung by Mick Jagger in 1995 in the album of the same name by the Chieftains. Until next week, Schlancha. In a long 
like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll return again for another episode of Crown Beehive Stories and Poetry next week. Share this podcast with your friends and relations. The more the merrier. Search for Crown Beehive Stories and Poetry in your favorite podcast app. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the village oak tree as I try to entertain you today. As a Shauna Key, I want to continue to delight you with a story or a poem that may bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your blessings outnumber the shamrocks that grow, and may trouble avoid you wherever you go. Slango foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish.